Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com And I firmly believe, with my head and my heart, that this is a decision which is in the best interests of our entire United Kingdom. Well, I felt the proposed deal with the EU suffered two fatal flaws. As what my right honourable friend says... And what my right honourable friend does no longer match, should I not write to my right honourable friend, the member for Altrincham and Sale West? Not for the first time we're asking what the hell is going on. I'm Matt Chorley. This is the Red Box Politics podcast from The Times. It's been another extraordinary day in Westminster, the most extraordinary day since... Well, since yesterday, nobody quite knows how things are going to pan out. Nobody can really see a way through it. I've spent the day speaking to the Times political team. Do bear with us, because I've been speaking to them at different times of the day and things have been moving very fast. But pour yourself a big drink, sit back and relax as we at least try to explain what it is that we don't know. This is nothing to do with me. This is about not having confidence in the current leader and believing that the deal simply does not work. This way, can you turn around this way, please? Are we done? So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. I think what we're doing is step forward for a couple of questions. That there, the sound of Jacob Rees-Mogg posing for photos after launching an Exocet missile into Theresa May's leadership. He's put in his letter of no confidence in the Prime Minister, hoping, he was saying, that others will follow him. He said it would be a bit embarrassing if they didn't. He was standing on the exact spot that two and a bit years ago Theresa May emerged in Parliament as the next Prime Minister. How things have changed since then. I'm joined now by Sam Coates, Deputy Political Editor of The Times. Sam, you've been training around after the ERG and Jacob Rees-Mogg all day. For the avoidance of doubt, it is uh, 10 to 2, just in case things might have changed uh, by the time you listen to this. Sam, what's been going on this morning? Well, I'm quite bruised because I seem to have been in a scrum for the best part of the last 45 minutes. So, just to recap where we are today, we're, what, two cabinet ministers down and almost certainly Theresa May is going to face a vote of no confidence because it looks as if... Jacob Rees-Mogg, Steve Baker are putting in their letters today uh, to Graham Brady, along with probably most of the, I would estimate, 30 to 40 people in a committee room in the House of Commons corridor, and um, that'll probably take you over the 48 hurdles. So Jacob Rees-Mogg has just come surrounded by a scrum outside St Stephen's entrance, which is the old public entrance of the Houses of Parliament, uh, in order to give an impromptu press conference, which was a little bit chaotic in that way that Jacob Rees-Mogg does incredibly well. You had Remain protesters shouting, stop Brexit, stop Brexit, 
as he was trying to talk about a partial customs union. It was very Westminster, very 2018. I'll tell you what it reminded me of. On the way here, walking through Parliament, I passed Boris Johnson in the corridor, cutting a solitary figure, you might argue. He used to create a circus like this, but today it's all about Jacob Smog. Indeed, Boris was in the ERG room earlier, and at the point that he left, he left quite quickly, we all ran after him, but after a while we just ran out of puff and went back to see Jacob Rees-Mogg, <laughs> who is, after all, the main act today. Because what, what is politics always about? It's about numbers. And as you said in the email this morning, can you count? So the ERG are, I suspect, pretty confident that they can get the 48 letters to trigger a vote of no confidence in the Prime Minister. But, 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 the conversation going on behind me in the corridors of the House of Commons is what number of votes of no confidence could the Prime Minister withstand and still stay in her job? Now, this, is, this is the calculation previously. They, they always thought they could get to the 48, but they need 150-something to, to defeat her. And if she wins, you can't do it again for 12 months, so she's in the job for another 12 months. So what is the number that wounds her enough that she has to go? So I was talking to a, a leading Remain minister who sometimes wears a flat cap, off the record, and he was saying... <laughs> And he was speculating that it would be quite hard if she got more than 100, say. But if it's 50-60 votes of no confidence, he thinks she can still battle on, even though it's incredibly hard to see how then she would get the critical Brexit votes and Brexit legislation through the House of Commons. I mean, you might call that chaos. I think the markets call that chaos. I suspect the public calls it chaos. But it's just 2018 for those of us who work in Westminster. Uh, we're also joined by Patrick Kidd, Time sketch writer, who's been training around after Jacob Rees-Mogg. How does today's circus compare with previous circuses? <laughs> I've been in the chamber for three hours watching Theresa May with a sign on her back saying, kick me, and a sign on her forehead saying, slap me. Uh, she's not got much support <laughs> anywhere. And, and person after person, she's getting the sympathy of the Labour Party. That's probably more wounded than anything else. They're getting up and saying, I feel so sorry for you. There was a terrible uh, moment straight after the early part of her answer in the statement. There was a, there was a huddle with a Danish Street source and someone said why is it there were only two Tory MPs who were backing the Prime Minister and the Downing Street source said I think I counted more than two and I think you just think if they're reduced to trying to so there was yeah. definitely more than two it Tory got MPs. four or five in the end but Sir Peter Bottomley was the first loyalist to leap in there Nicky Morgan uh, was also very loyal. It's amazing. They two now have two tellers for two, when it comes to the vote. Two and a bit years ago Nicky Morgan was public enemy number one. Theresa yeah. May sacked her as soon as she became Prime Minister they got into a row over leather trousers yes. and you know never the twain shall meet and now she's the last cheerleader of the Prime Minister. You look for a friend anywhere but I mean it is hard to see how the maths stack up. Of course there's going to be emotional language and once the whips get to work with their thumbscrews and, and candid photographs people will come back loyally. You just didn't sense that there really is anywhere near a majority in the House uh, and there is just sympathy and, and people begging her to think again and, and go back. Yeah, people like uh, Nigel Huddleston getting up and saying, what do you have to offer my children? It was all, it was all quite emotional stuff and Jacob Rees-Mogg beginning by referring to her as my right honourable friend well she is unquestionably honourable uh, what can she offer me to not go and write hand in my letter immediately? And we obviously it wasn't enough because he walked he then left the statement immediately afterwards and went off to pen his letter. Yeah, well, I mean, Graham Brady was only sitting about five foot away from him. He could have uh, just handed it over to him and Brady could have leapt up and said, House! But, <laughs> um, but Jacob had to go back to his room and he had to pluck a, uh, a feather from his favourite swan, <laughs> use his knife to make a nib and, uh, and then write onto vellum. And that takes time to dry. But uh, I just I don't see what's going to happen. Theresa May is clearly going to lose this and she's going to have to go and think again. And time is ticking now. We are, oh, gosh, what have we got? 100 days to go? We, we've got, we are lacking on two things. We are lacking time and we are lacking ideas. Nobody seems to have an alternative plan to the Prime Minister's Brexit plan and actually nobody has an alternative to who should be leader. I wish I could say something more profound than that but, but all eyes were on Graham Brady and there was one point when Brady who was sat far away as far away as you can be from the Speaker suddenly got up
up, left, walked around, and he suddenly appeared next to the speaker. And it was a bit like sort of Banquo's ghost. You wonder whether he was going to suddenly beckon at Theresa May to come outside. I mean, we all expect at some point today Graham Brady's going to be saying some words uh, to us about having reached the 48, and I don't know how quickly we're going to suddenly have a, a, a vote of confidence, but it's a not, good, not a good position for her. Well, I think now might be the time to head back up to the Times office to see what's happening up there. Patrick, Sam, thanks so much. Right, let's go right back to first thing this morning, which feels like it might have been weeks or even months ago. Um, I'm joined now by Kate Devlin, the Chief Political Correspondent at the Times. Um, Kate, nine o'clock this morning, what happened? Well, there we were, you know, talking about the resignation of a junior minister in the Northern Ireland office. I've, I've completely forgotten about Charlotte Val already. <laughs> when there we were uh, thinking the Brexit the, Secretary resigned. There we were thinking that was going to be the devastating blow for Theresa May that Charlotte Val had gone. Will other junior ministers follow him out the door? And then, yeah, Dominic Raab. Dominic Raab only been in the job since July. He took the job on because his predecessor resigned because he wasn't happy with the way things were going. What's his explanation for why he's decided he doesn't like the deal that he negotiated? Well, I mean, he took an awful lot of heat, if you remember, at the time from Brexiteers. He said, look, we here checkers, now is the time to capitalise. You know, why is he going into the cabinet and, tr- and trying to salvage this deal? His argument is that he did work very hard to try to salvage it, but there were bits in it that he found indefensible and could not support in all good conscience. Um, it was interesting reading his letter which he released on Twitter. I couldn't see the second page where he laid out his alternative plan that he thought the EU might have agreed with and signed off. Have you, have you found that yet? That, that has not um, come across <laughs> that desk. It also hasn't come across David Mundell's desk. Yes, yeah, so let's Even talk though about he this. is very, very angry. David Mundell, Scottish Secretary. Uh, really, I mean, not a man known for always making a lot of news, but he's really gone for Robert in interview. He has, and he's under an awful lot of pressure. All of the resignation letters that I've seen today have mentioned um, the integrity of the United Kingdom, and that just puts extra pressure on the Scottish Secretary David Mundell and indeed the leader of the Scottish Conservatives, Ruth Davidson. Now, uh, you know, sources close to them today saying that they have absolutely shown their credentials in sticking up for the union in the last five to ten years and they don't need any lectures from anyone else on that which I think is probably one of the reasons why um, Dave Mundell has done a broadcast interview today in which he accuses Dominic Rabba being a carpetbagger on this issue. T- turning up late and suddenly pretending to be interested in, in what's happening in Scotland. What's Dominic Raab's plan now? At the moment, he's saying we want to change the policy, not the Prime Minister. Others have already gone to the second part of that. What, what do you think is Raab's next move? He's still saying it's not too late to turn this around. There are three main things in, um, in this deal which need to be changed. But his um, plea, as it were, to the Prime Minister is to change this and that this can still be salvaged. Do you think that's right? Is it changeable? I'm not sure whether that's even the question <laughs> anymore. Um, it's certainly no indications out of Downing Street yeah. that that is what they're going to do. Yeah. Um, so that doesn't seem to be a, a starter. Listen, Kate, I know I've got to let you get off. Your phone is absolutely buzzing with missed calls. Next up, I speak to Ollie Wright, Henry Zeffman and Esther Webb as we try to draw together what's going on with that Brexit deal, the unprecedented number of resignations and how it's all going to pan out over the next few months. We'll be back after this short break.
Okay, let's try and draw all this together and try and work out what's going on. I'm joined by Esther Weber, Redbox reporter, Henry Zeffman, political correspondent for The Times, and Ollie Wright, the policy editor, and Ollie and Henry do the excellent Brexit briefing, trying to make sense of what on earth is happening with Brexit. Um, let's start with you, Henry, and with Brexit. Where are we on the state or the status of Theresa May's deal? It seems like a deal that couldn't be more unloved. There are two answers to that question. One of those answers is technical, and the answer is, we're really quite far. She has produced a 585-page document of dense legal text, which uh, would be ready to be put into practice and would underpin the terms of divorce between the UK and the EU. That is, even in itself, a task that some people thought she would never be able to accomplish. But as we've seen today, and as uh, listeners to this podcast will no doubt have seen uh, with all sorts of new crazy developments after we've uh, recorded this, uh, the situation at Westminster is quite different. Uh, the question here is not uh, should we praise Theresa May for having accomplished a deal, it is people objecting to the nature of the deal. And frankly, you know, the, the work of Ollie Robbins, her chief Brexit negotiator, and uh, his EU counterparts, Michelle Barnier, Sabine Wand, and the, the legions of civil servants and bureaucrats from across the 28 member states, including the UK, uh, that have been working on it, is all going to be for naught unless the Prime Minister can find a way of assuaging the Conservative Party here. And it's hard to see how she can. Answer me this. The, the meaningful vote, the big row we had about the meaningful vote, whenever it was, a year or so ago, that was all about Remainer Tories wanting some sort of Remainery lock on it all. They were the ones who wanted to be able to call a halt for the sort of deny the deal. Theresa May, in the end, had to concede there would be a meaningful vote in the Commons. And actually, it's the hardcore Brexiteers are the ones who are blowing up the deal. The levels of irony upon irony upon irony of the last <laughs> few years uh, are so ironic in and of themselves. I don't even, don't even know how to, how to refer to them. Um, even, but even Alanis Morissette would not know. What Alanis to Morissette would struggle, although her, her understanding of irony was probably uh, even less sophisticated than, than a, uh, a, some of the dimmatory MPs. That's a whole podcast. <laughs> yes, uh, it, is, it is a novel point worth making that the Brexiteer MPs who are going to use the meaningful vote to, to vote down Theresa May's deal never wanted the meaningful vote in the first place. I've not really thought of that until you said it. But that is a good point. Anyway, the fact is there is going to be this vote. It's an up-down vote on the deal. The timetable we are given to understand in the government's head is that it will take place in something like the second week of December, so pretty soon. The votes aren't there. I mean, she, she will lose the vote even the government's sort of best case scenario relied on some Labour votes. I mean, she did this three hour statement question and answer session, basically, in the Commons Thursday morning. And it was 58 minutes in until the first MP said something vaguely supportive. Oh, it was grim. Sitting in the, sitting in the gallery above the chamber looking down, you just sort of felt like it was, it was just sort of not very nice. That atmosphere does not a majority make. Yeah. Esther. The number of resignations we've had, I'm not sure where we're, where we're up to now. It's possible that somebody else has resigned, even while we've been speaking on, in the, uh, we're on the glamorous roof of the Houses of Parliament outside the Times office. This is unpre- I know we always keep saying this is not normal and this is unprecedented. The number of resignations really is unprecedented. Yeah, as far as we can make out, this is the highest number of people to resign within the first two years of a premiership. Um, the 20th today was Suella Braverman, the Brexit minister, and I think what's uh, noticeable or striking about comparing the loss of ministers in this government with previous governments is for most other prime ministers there was no overwhelming 
reason or pattern or one thing. It was to do with different policy issues, different personal scandals. This one, ten of them have been over Brexit, whether it's from the Leave side, which most of them have been, or from others who feel that she should have gone for a softer Brexit or a second vote. Ollie, just try and explain to us um, in sort of less than an hour... Thanks. What, what, what exactly? That, no, no, that was a, that was a criticism of the, of the complexity of the deal rather than your um, ability to be brief. What is it that everyone is so cross about? People might maybe listen to this podcast, they've watched the news or whatever. There's an awful lot of talk about customs union and, and backstops and backstops yeah. to backstop. What is, it, what is the it problem? It basically boils down to one word, I think, and that's sovereignty. Under the nature of this deal, we will bind ourselves into what could be a temporary EU customs union, but there is no automatic way out. Britain couldn't unilaterally turn around one day and in the words of of a cabinet minister nonetheless, decide we've had enough of this shit show, we want to get out. And they really, really (laughs) object to that. And I think that in a nutshell is what it's all about. There's other stuff around Northern Ireland and whether there is going to be separation between Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK. But I think for the Brexiteers, it is one word and it's sovereignty. And actually, given how complex the Brexit negotiations have been, Theresa May's ability to deliver on all the other stuff that was promised during the Leave campaign. Mm. Sort of, if nothing else, we were going to get to the end of this and we were going to be able to make our own decisions about what we were in out of. That's what was claimed. That horrible noise was not the sound of Theresa May barricading herself inside number 10. It was uh, some workmen on the roof of Parliament. So we've come inside. So look, one uh, last thing from you, Ollie. When all this plays out, if there is a vote of no confidence in Theresa May, Mm. and if she loses that... Yes. There's a Tory leadership contest. All that is pl- being played out. Maybe that takes two or three months, potentially, if they mm-hmm. actually have a vote of party members, all of which is eating into the time on delivering uh, on whatever deal or no deal or whatever it is that's supposed to happen yeah. uh, before March 29th. What's your hunch at the moment on how that plays out? The last time you were on the podcast, you were, you were floating the possibility of moving the, yeah. the deadline of March 29th might have to move. Is, is that where you think we are? It's very, very difficult to say, and I think it comes... We've got to be honest with people. We don't know. <laughs> MPs Shh, don't, don't know. don't say that. I don't think anyone in Downing Street knows. I don't think the Prime Minister knows. I don't think the Cabinet Secretary knows. There are lots of things that could happen, but there is no easy path to know what will happen. And you know, it will play out. Yes, it's possible to extend Article 50, possibly, but would you get a majority in the Commons to do that, which you would probably need? Um, yes, it's possible that Theresa May would lose a vote of confidence, but there's no obvious leader that could unite her or do anything different. Um, Whichever way you look, there are not good answers. There are answers, but none of them which really resolve the questions which we've all been grappling with for the best part of the last two years since the referendum. Esther, I feel sort of constitutionally bound, if nothing else. We should at least mention the Labour Party. Jeremy Corbyn didn't exactly sock it to Theresa May. All the kicking basically came from her own side. Are we hurtling towards Prime Minister Corbyn, do you think? Uh, unfortunately, I have to say it's very difficult to say. <laughs> that, all, that all depends on what happens if and when the deal was voted down and um, if the Conservatives decide that potentially going to the country is another option or there becomes a two-thirds majority put that in the House under the Fixed-Term Parliament Act. Uh, It's difficult to see how a general election would give us anything resembling more certainty. And also, even if the Labour Party, for example, took 
20 seats off the Conservatives, you're still left with the hung parliament. It's no clear that nobody has a majority to do anything. No. Do you know what this all reminds me of? Greece. (laughs) The musical? (laughs) (laughs) But do you remember we sort of looked on Riley with the chaos with Greece and the government that came in and are going to do things differently and take on the EU? It all seems rather familiar. Right, well, on that cheery thought, um, who knows? Someone else might have resigned by the time we've finished recording this and by the time you've downloaded it. We might have a new Prime Minister. I might be Prime Minister by the time you've uh, downloaded this. Uh, for now, my uh, thanks to all of our guests, Sam Coates, Patrick Kidd, Henry Zeffman, Kate Devlin, Ollie Wright and Esther Webber. And for me, Matt Chorley, it's goodbye. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be right. (laughs) Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like... You know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> this was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, <laughs> yeah, you, you were different. Like, you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>